Welcome to Lynn Cullen Live, talk radio without the static. Email your questions and comments to lynn at pghcitypaper.com. And now your host, Lynn Cullen. Hey there and welcome, (coughs) she said in a growling manner. Never quite know how it's going to come out. Um, It's uh, July 7th, just to set us in some kind of a timeline. And... uh, Oh, where to start? I just noticed some bird poop on my living room. I'm not kidding, right where I'm sitting, my living room, dining room floor. How would that happen? Well, I think I told you I had a chipmunk running around in here the other day, and and then a few days later, it was a bird (laughs) flying around. Yes, I have a very open home. We value diversity at this address. Not just bipeds, quadrupeds, feathered folk. Um, No, it all has to do with that silly little uh, jerry-rigged cat door that my cats made for themselves. And then my dog enlarged. It's essentially a a hole in a screen. (laughs) And I think it's great. I mean, I love them having access. So the problem is, is of course, then other animals have access too. But I don't know. It doesn't happen very often. When it does, I shriek and generally deal with it. But man, I hadn't seen, you know, I guess they get in here and they get scared out of their minds and who can blame them? And they, they lose control of their bowels. Um, however, I'm sorry. I just happened to see this as I was sitting here, so I otherwise would not uh, trouble you <laughs> with the with the state of my uh, housekeeping. Speaking of that, you know, I, I saw this piece recently about how if you're in New York City, and for that matter, probably uh, a whole bunch of other American cities. And you need to uh, go. Good luck to you. Uh, there are very few. I'm trying to think of Pittsburgh. Where, if you were in um, Pittsburgh, downtown, especially, go to downtowns, um, and you have to, where do you go? An awful lot of uh, stores are very clear. They don't want you using their facilities. Um, And in New York, given the population, which is millions, right? Uh, I think it's around 8 million people in, in New York, 8 million people. You know how many public restrooms there are? 8 million people? 1,160. Now, if you if you do the math, uh, that is ludicrously uh, a small number, and they are often, of course, not marked, hard to find. Once you do find one, they can be revolting, disgusting. So this is a kind of like public health issue and quality of life issue that America is, you know, just 
wrong. We're always just wrong about it. Um, for instance, seems to me I read somewhere, okay, like just in this one London borough, uh, Richmond, it has one public toilet for every 300 people. One for every 300. Now, that same ratio applied to New York City would be one for every 28,000. So I don't know. I, what is it with us? Uh, and many of the public ones are not even open uh, 24 hours. Now, obviously, if you're a, a homeless person, this is a huge problem. But, you know, I'm not a homeless person, and I have found myself in that kind of predicament. Um, and it, it's just one of those issues that Americans – it's it's not an issue for us. It's not a it's not a you know if you ask voters what is the number one issue, the top ten issues. I don't think public restrooms is going to show up. So, but I'm just noting it um, because in other in other countries this becomes a big a big thing. Uh, some of the biggest architects in Japan, for instance. Um, design just glorious public restrooms there um and london as i mentioned it, it, germany also uh they even have you know public toilet maps posted uh i don't know why we i recall there was one public restroom here in pittsburgh that got a lot of publicity and I actually used it uh, twice. It got a lot of publicity because it was a self-cleaning. It was this glorious thing. It was on Carson Street on the south side. And you can see that would be a good place to have a really nice public restroom since you have. And even back then, I guess, given the uh, ratio of uh, watering holes to uh, to humans, uh, you got a lot of people who may, in fact, feel inclined to uh, need a restroom on the south side. And uh, it was eventually shut down because it was, uh, I guess, I, I don't know what, vandalized. But the thing was, it was too nice. You you got inside it. It was like a room. It was this big, big room and extraordinarily clean and once you finished and exited, the door would lock for a little bit. And I guess the entire place would be immediately uh, sanitized. The floor would like roll on us. I, I, I can't quite remember. The floor would, you know, like uh, on a conveyor belt would go down and you get a new floor while the old one was being it was ridiculous. But the thing is, it was so big and so clean that, you know, again, I can see somebody just camping in there or doing bad things in there or, um, you know, whatever. It was a little too nice. But that was a big to-do. And it ain't there anymore. <laughs> I'll tell you that. 
In fact, we don't even know. There isn't even like a, you know, a, a uniform look of what a public, you know, it's not, I'm not talking about a porta potty. Um, so anyway, in the article I read about New York, I mean, uh, New Yorkers of uh, all types um, admitted that they have relieved themselves um, outdoors um, in absolute desperation in Central Park, here and there, tucked behind a bush if you could find a bush. Okay, I'm 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 getting off that now. I'm sorry. <laughs> Public toilets. I will put off my little list. Uh, I think I mentioned the other day that as we're getting out and about, um, and you're seeing people that you haven't seen and going to maybe events, dinners, parties that people, you know, like are starting to behave like they, they used to in that they see you and they open their arms wide and, you know, want to hug or or if they're not that demonstrative and maybe you're just meeting them they hold out their hand and uh, and anticipate you will uh, do the same and i have to tell you i've encountered both of those things the hug in one case i turned down i said no 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 i said i'll bump elbows with you and this guy looks so hurt and he said, aren't you vaccinated? And I said, yeah, I, I am. But I, I just think, didn't we learn anything? <laughs> didn't we learn that we should maybe not be quite so uh, physically demonstrative with, uh, well, he wasn't a stranger. He wasn't exactly an intimate. And then the other was uh, being introduced to somebody uh, who I, I did know was vaccinated and she held her hand out and I shook her hand, but I have to admit, I thought as I was shaking it, I reminded myself that I had said a year ago that I'm not going to do that anymore. The one thing I've learned from the pandemic is the, the way we spread germs and illness is I probably the handshake is the biggest thing, handshakes and kisses. And and yet it looks to me, remember we thought we might end up, uh, you know, doing what a lot of Asian cultures do, which is, you know, like do a little bow, put your hands together, do a little bow, even, you know, those stupid fist bumps or the elbow bumps, which I find a little silly, but something. And I can see that that hasn't, uh, I don't think that's going to be a lasting change. I think we're going to go right back to the way we used to uh, greet each other and spread disease. And I, and I for one, want to be able to uh, eschew isn't tight, that. Really, I do, without feeling like I'm being rude. And, you know, with so many things with this, the way we're readjusting to life, 
there is, you know, you hurt someone's feelings or they su suspect that you're judging them by saying, oh, you know, you apparently are not being careful enough. I, however, am. And so there's this like, and that's not the intent. The intent is not to get sick. Now, when we head around to like the winter flu season, cold season, I'm I'm even inclined to begin wearing a mask again in public, uh, you know, in in closed public situations because it sure was nice not getting the flu this year. And for that matter, I haven't had a cold for a year. So I'm just saying, I would like to say that we should stop. You know, when the pandemic first began. Uh, Dr. Fauci said that he hoped one of the things that we would take away from this is that Americans would stop shaking hands. Because, in effect, uh, well, there's a, there's a headline here from a 2014 article. Uh, the headline is, Handshakes are a filthy, disease-spreading tradition. And they are. They are. I know it's our tradition, but it's a filthy and disease-spreading tradition. And we need to stop it. Just saying. But it won't. Uh... And as to what we should do uh, instead, I don't know. I, uh, it's hard to, I, I couldn't imagine refusing to shake that woman's hand. Um, and I, I don't know how I would, I would, I don't know. I'm going to have to come up with a thing that I say. And maybe it's just a very direct thing. Very nice to meet you, but you know what? I've given up handshaking. I don't do it anymore. And then they'll think you're an oddball, but maybe not necessarily a jerk. I don't know. So I'm saying, you see me on the street, say hi. You know, but don't offer your hand. Um, you know, that whole, fr I mean, uh, how do we make agreements in this country? We shake on it. <laughs> we make agreements by saying, here, I have a number of uh, bacilli on my hand. I bet you have a number on yours. Let's, let's like uh, shake and you transfer some of those uh, microbes to me and I'll do the same to you because what What's a friendlier gesture? Really? Remember, and I and and I'm I'm sorry. I was remiss yesterday in not acknowledging. I'm not big on anniversaries. I don't remember dates. So why would I remember it was a month ago or a year later or whatever? I don't. But January 6th is one of those dates that has stuck in my head. 
and will forever. And I failed to realize that yesterday was the six-month anniversary of that frightening and despicable event. Um, and and I, I do want to, to note it. And you'll recall that immediately after it, how uh, how some of the uh, corporations wanting to show that there should they are responsible uh, members of our community, and they were very quick to say that they would stop giving campaign contributions <laughs> to any members of Congress who uh, who had spread the big lie and who, in fact, after the insurrection, actually actually voted uh, to side with the insurrectionists and not certify the uh, electoral vote. And so a lot of corporations stood up and said, okay, that's it. We're, we're noting that. And, you know, nah, we ain't giving them money. Well, I started reading a few weeks ago that slowly, slowly, not with any press releases, certainly, these corporations have started, yeah, uh, writing their little, uh, you know, this is essentially a form of, uh, it's a shakedown. It's our system. It's our corrupted system. Corporations give money to politicians and then politicians do their bidding or certainly uh, give them entree and their ears and whatever, right? So an awful lot of corporations apparently still are sticking to these uh, pledges. But some of them are clearly right back to business as usual. And number one is Toyota. Just want to say. Man, the Toyota gave 37, so far, 37 of what you could call the insurrectionist lawmakers, the aiders and abettors of, the apologists for, Toyota has already given 37 of them $55,000. I'm sure that's just a you know, start, but hey, guys, remember us, here you go, 55000 mm -hmm. The next corporation that's given uh, money uh but nowhere near as much as Toyota, is Cigna. And even beneath them is Coke, the Coke brothers, Coke Industries. So Toyota is like quadruple the number of money that the second place Cigna has given out. And so Toyota was asked, hey guys, remember when you said on uh, January 7th? <laughs> Do you... Uh, so what's changed? And this is what the corporate spokesman for Toyota said. Toyota supports candidates 
based on their position on issues that are important to the auto industry and to the company. Well, yeah, right. And Dana Milbank, writing in the Washington Post, said, uh, apparently those issues of importance to the auto industry and Toyota in particular, uh, well, saving American democracy is not one of those <laughs> issues. And Milbank so enraged is he then asked the question, would anyone like to buy my 2017 Toyota Sienna? Because I ain't buying another Toyota. And he says, Toyota in their advertising likes to say that Toyotas are made in America. Milbank adds, yeah. And its actions are unmaking America. And then he started to think of all the Toyota models and how now that Toyota has thrown its lot in with the insurrectionists, how they might want to rename uh, some of them. Um, I'm trying to think. I don't know. He said the Toyota Sequoia could be the Toyota paranoia. Uh, you know, for those who think that uh, the vaccines make you magnetic uh, or uh, government telling you to wear a mask is akin to uh, the Holocaust. Uh, so the Toyota paranoia might be the kind of uh, car that would uh, appeal. Uh, some others he came up with, that just, for whatever it's worth. The Toyota Rotunda is his new name for the Toyota Tundra. And he said that obvious advertising thing for the Toyota Rotunda is Capitol Police will scatter when you drive this bad boy over the barriers and up the West Lawn. And then the Toyota 4Runner, he suggests, should be renamed the Toyota Gunrunner. Oh, God. He must have had fun doing this, huh? Toyota Highlander, he's changed to the Homelander. White nationalists will love this crossover. It's equipped with Supreme Court's latest voter suppression technology, giving you an effortless ride to victory. There's the former Toyota Supra, which is now the Toyota Supremacist. <laughs> anyway, this is all to tell you. Oh, and he mentions, don't forget, Lexus is Toyota. Okay? So if you're not given, and I've had a Lexus. I never had a Toyota. I've had a Lexus. And I liked it very much. But these are, and I've often said this, when you're spending your hard-earned dollars, it's, it's good to direct them to places that, well, not only do you want to support, but that obviously share your, your values. And to withhold your hard-earned money 
from entities that don't. It's why I try so desperately, and it's almost impossible, to avoid giving any money to Amazon and Jeff Bezos. Um, but given the fact that Lexus is another one, he is uh, suggesting that uh, Lexus add to its uh, new, a new line to its uh, to its cars. That I've never understood how they label cars. There's the IS, the ES, and the LS. And he's now suggesting the BS, which I don't think is a bad idea. So, um, yeah, that's just some of it. Just saying. Uh, what we got here, Milton? says there used to be several public bathrooms located around the city that were underground. From my understanding, they disappeared in the 50s and 60s. They were situated in downtown, the Hill District, East Liberty, Oakland, and Squirrel Hill. Squirrel Hill excuse me, and he sends me a picture of one on a very busy corner in East Liberty. Um, wow, boy, was East Liberty a big, huge, bustling place. Uh, and yeah, they show uh, where there's a subterranean public restroom. This is a corner of Shady Avenue, Shady and Penn. Wow. Yeah, well, you know, that urban renewal crap that started there in the 60s and 70s. Man, I, I, I don't know. What were they thinking? <laughs> what were they thinking? Uh, that the things they got rid of, like I'm looking at East Liberty here. They got rid of that. Are you kidding? This bustling place with actually public bathrooms. Amazing. We ain't going forward. We be going backward, I think. So hang on, I've lost my 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 page here. Um Okay, and Father Joseph says there were I think underground public restrooms. <laughs> In downtown Pittsburgh, they yeah, he's saying the same thing. They closed in the 60s or 70s. My father remembers them. Uh, you would go down a set of steps. Along, there were steps along the sidewalk which went down and under the street where you could use a, a restroom. They had the latest modern fixtures and tile walls. And obviously, we're a convenience for, I, I mean, anybody. Because, you know, now, maybe back then you could walk in a business and say, may I use the restroom? And I suppose if you're dressed in a certain way and maybe are a certain color, I don't know. The right kind of person is, yeah, you can. But if you're the wrong kind of person, I would suspect you can't. Oh, and here we go. 
And Father Joseph says, sadly, they also had separate. Really? Here? Not here. During Jim Crow, whites and colored restrooms? Which was another major reason why they were built if you were colored, right? Forget about asking to use a restroom, right? I, I, I'm sure. And they they became havens for crime, filth, and vandalism because the city failed to properly maintain them and, I guess, secure them. And I, I think that's what happened. And they were sealed off and eventually dug out or filled in. And there you are. And he sent me some more pictures. Thanks, guys. Yeah, but so now, what's what the person who asked to go is supposed to do? I'm just asking. Uh, okay. Yeah, Bob tells me to see Shakari Richardson wasn't even picked for the relay team. Yeah, she's not going to the Olympics. Uh, unbelievable. And it's just shoot yourself in the foot while you're at it. It's just unbelievable. That glorious woman. Damn. Well, I guess we'll see her in four years. I don't know. All right, I got a caller, I guess. Let's go to the phones. Hello. I think athletes who smoke pot should probably be commended because they're overcoming something. <laughs> what do you mean they're overcoming something? Um, well, I mean, no, I mean, I'm being a smart ass, but uh, no, I mean, it's just like. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, they're, they're, yeah, I mean, they're not. Here's what I want to know. You know what? Here's what I want to know. So if instead to drown her sorrows over the loss of her biological mother, rather than smoking some pot, she had had a six pack of beer. Would she be disqualified now? You're a priest. Would she be disqualified? It's ridiculous. I mean, what? Alcohol is not on this frigging list of theirs. Yeah. And that, you know, but it is so, it is a dangerous drug. Marijuana is such not a dangerous drug that, as you know, it is now considered medicine in uh, close to, I think, half the states of this country. I work for a company who still fails. If you fail a drug test, you're out. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. you know, I can drink 12 beers a night, beat crap out of my family, come to work, pass the drug test, and you're happy to have me. I smoke a joint on a on a Saturday night, and two weeks later, I have to go take a drug test. I tell you, you're going to fire me? Yeah, it, 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 it makes no sense. But, of you know, uh, but the reason I called was because you're talking about sponsors, and I'm thinking, shit, I just bought my very first Toyota ever. <laughs> Well, I like I I actually got a hybrid. I'm like, oh, I feel kind of I I it. I wanted a manual transmission, but good luck finding one of those. But um, so, so I settled for a hybrid, and I I love it. And then it's like, 
And then you tell me this stuff about the sponsors, like, oh, God. Yeah, some of your hard-earned money, which went to buy that, is now helping. I don't know if you came up with a name for, what'd you get, a Prius? No, I got, they, Kroll makes a hybrid, they, they have a hybrid for Krollas now. And so, what is it called? What's the name of Corolla. it? Corolla. Oh, the Corolla. Well, that's the one he yeah. renamed the Rotunda, right? No. <laughs> no? Okay. I don't know. Uh, I didn't read the article. I don't know. Okay. I didn't read that. Okay. Uh, so, too bad. Sh- shaking hands. Do you ever, have you watched Peaky Blinders? No. Okay. When they come to an agreement, before they shake hands, they sit on their palms first. <laughs> and I just started to get the heebie-jeebies every there time. There it is. <laughs> yeah. Maybe if we started doing that, more people would say, you know, never mind. Jeez. And, and my, my daughter in New York, she says, but she lives in Brooklyn, and she says, Manhattan's it's, it's awful. Um, you're talking about the bathrooms. It's just, yeah. there's just public defecation and stuff going on all over. It, 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 it's sort of like, um, it's just awful. She says, they don't, they, they try not to go to Manhattan at all anymore. Because well, I don't know there. what are people supposed to do. I mean, I remember when I was a kid and I was in Paris, I was blown away by those round metal things on the sidewalks that you would walk by and, and you would see the bottom of men's legs in them and I said, what the heck is that and it was i was told a pissoir it's where men went and pissed a pissoir and they were all over the streets and i thought yeah that's all but at least they were offering a place for men to pee as far as women i don't know that there were any female pissoirs because after all who cares Describe that again to me. I don't understand. So huh? you would be walking. So if you're walking on the street, what did you see again? I, I, it, it would be a, a set of metal well, discs. It would just be like an enclosure. Google it. Yeah, an enclosure, a, a large, uh, it seemed to me it was metal, a, a large metal uh, enclosure that maybe about six, seven, eight men could, I guess, get in, six, I don't know. All I know is it didn't go all the way down to the ground. And so you saw men's feet and you know okay, and, but you didn't see their heads they're tall enough where you didn't no 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 you didn't see yeah look it up there's got to be a picture one i didn't dream of okay it. i will call that again p-i-s-s-o-i-r i think and oh, by okay. the way yes and by the way he did um a pisser right <laughs> and by the way he did uh come up with a he's decided that since Toyota was giving all this money to the insurrectionists uh, in Congress, um, that the Corolla should be renamed the Payola. Oh, God. Yeah. Uh, so, okay. I just want to say, because you, um, you are now driving the Toyota Payola. Yeah, sorry. Does that mean I have to put a Trump sticker, a uh, bumper sticker on my car now? No, I don't think so. <laughs> I definitely don't think so. Yeah. All righty. Thank you. Sorry. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Oh, dear, dear. So there were some other 
wait a minute. Um, I keep losing my, someday someone will teach me how to use a computer. I think the time's running short. Uh, oh, the beautiful Cardinal is sitting there. I'm, I hit this news that they're dying and that we're, tr we're not supposed to feed them. Not that I did, but, uh, you know, all these, I have a friend who has a million bird feeders and she's taken them all down and she says the birds are there and they're looking at her like, oh, he's looking at me like that too. No, I never fed you. I never fed you. Went away. Um, uh, hang on. Uh, you know, I'm trying to get back to our mail. Okay. So, backing up, um, just to, the insurrection thing again. Did you see that, um, not that this is surprising, but just, you know, just to note it, that uh, Congressman Kinzinger, who is, you know, one of the, what, two Republicans? <laughs> one of two Republicans uh, who denounces Donald Trump. Uh, he has said that he he suspects, and I would assume his suspicions are based on, you know, knowing these people and uh, whatever. He says he really suspects that uh, a number of Republican lawmakers uh, had full knowledge of what was going to happen on July 6th. And he said, he said, I won't name names, <laughs> but I will say this. If you just were following and looking at Twitter, you would have been on edge. And he said, that day, I did bring a gun. He brought a gun to work to the U.S. Capitol. He said, the whole reason I brought my gun and kept my staff home and told my wife to stay in the, in, in the apartment was looking at Twitter. I saw the threats. So here's this congressman. He sees it. He's talking prior to the 6th. And unlike, I guess, a lot of our intelligence people, he took it seriously. And he was right. Seriously enough to tell his staff to stay home, his wife to stay in, and he takes a gun? And he has little doubt uh, that others were uh, aware. Uh, wow. And, and again, they cannot get away. They cannot be allowed to get away with this attempt to keep us all in the dark as to, I so fucking hate this computer. I want a screen. 
I just got a bad system here. It's probably it's antiquated. It can't find. I've got all the wrong whatever you call them platforms, and they're they're old and dying. And and I keep dropping my. I'm gonna have to. Oh God! For those of us who again are technologically challenged, it just seems like a bridge too far to try to have have this somehow corrected. Um, other things I I want to uh, to note, and we'll be seeing more and more of this. But uh, again, speaking of Dr. Fauci, I think it was he who said, uh, "Uh oh, I have another caller. Is that is that old? Here's another problem. <clears throat> yeah, I do. Hello. Hey, Lynn. Yes. I, I got one for you. This is short. Okay. Okay. At 11 p.m. on 6 December 1876, policemen patrolling the Champs-Élysées discovered a well-to-do bourgeois in a public toilet engaged in what they described as indecent exposure with an 18-year-old laborer. The older man, it turned out, was the prominent Catholic politician Eugène de Germany a bastion of the reactionary right who railed against the government's secular tendencies and advocated a society based on family, religion, and a return to monarchy. The press immediately... (laughs) I'm sorry, nothing changes, huh? Okay, go ahead. That's right. Just one more short one. The press immediately called out Germany's double standards. Despite his (laughs) protests... He claimed his adventure was merely, quote, research, unquote. He became a magnet for satire, his political opponents making much of his hypocrisy. The writer Gustav Flaubert described the scandal as a, quote, comfort that encourages the will to live, unquote. <laughs> Germany was sent, was sent to jail and went into exile on release. <laughs> How about that for a connection to your there. cars and the current? Uh, yeah, uh, and yeah, the current. Yeah, the, 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 I guess it's not so current. The the hypocrisy that is, uh, you know, yeah, it is. It's like nothing changes. There you go. Yeah. Oh my God, where'd That's you find had. that? Did you look uh, up Pissoir and you, found this? When you told the other caller to just Google Pissoir. That's what I did. I just, I just Googled it and came across this article from the Guardian. Oh, God. Oh, that's, that's too funny. It's a, well, and that's the title wonderful. of the article, by the way. The title of the article, by the way, is War and Pissoirs, How the Urinals of Paris Helped Beat the Nazis. <laughs> no, no, I haven't. Well, that's, haven't a, that's the, a whole other story. Bye. Yeah, I haven't read God. the whole thing yet. That was just the opening. But uh, uh, anyway, there you go. Thank you. Take Thank care. you very much. You bye, too. Bye, bye. Bye. Wow. I love that. Anyway, it was it was Fauci who, who said uh you know recently that we're uh, we're we've become two uh there's two Americas and I'm thinking where have you been? But he was talking specifically about uh COVID. And uh, the two Americans, are, you know, it's a total overlap between Trump country and the rest of us, uh, urban and uh, rural. 
south and north. Uh, I, I don't, um, and you see this effort to tell these people you are die, you're going to die, you're killing your grandparents. What are you doing? And all of the people who have been dying um, are unvaccinated. That much we know now. If you're unvaccinated, your odds of ending up in a hospital are sure as hell greater than mine. And your odds of dying are sure as hell greater than mine. And the docs and nurses will tell you they've seen young people, 20s, 30s, 40s. And I just, you got to wonder how people who sign on to Biden wasn't really elected, to, uh, you know, QAnon crap, to whatever they're being fed by Fox and others and are willing to literally die or watch loved ones die to prove their their political point i it, it's it's just it's beyond me it is just beyond me Speaking of Fox, did you see they're about to, uh, they're going to launch their own weather network. They're taking on the weather channel. And it's because, you know, well, here's what they know. Uh, the news, uh, the news cable uh, stuff is, has lost audience since uh, the Trump clown show uh, left Washington sorta. And um and so Rupert's looking for other money makers. And anyone who's worked in television news will tell you that all the consultants will say that what people want is the weather. It's why, you know, you wonder why weather's you know, why on a nice day when nothing's happening does the weather guy get four minutes of a newscast? Well, because weather is the king. So Murdoch's gonna launch a 24-hour weather. Now, I'm trying to figure out what he'll do uh, in some ways to politicize it. How does a guy whose news networks uh, poo-poo climate change now jump into, (laughs) after having, you know, a field day making people doubt this global threat of climate change, which is also going to kill people and is already. Why isn't it amazing that now he pivots and he's going to make money on weather? On weather. Because the weather is getting more interesting. Now, why would the weather be getting more interesting? Oh, right. Mm hmm. 118 in Portland. Uh, Yeah, wildfires, drought, unbelievable hurricanes, rainstorms, tornadoes. Yeah, I think that would have to do with the climate change 
that Fox News tells its folks isn't happening. The gall, the chutzpah, the hypocrisy. Jeez. The mendacity. I'm sorry. I could go on and on and on and on and on and on and on. And then some. So, one of you, and you know who you are, uh, sent me a, uh, a, a video and suggested I read it if I, I mean, if I watch it, if I wanted a, a contrarian view of what's going on in our country, especially regarding uh, racial uh, issues. And I, I watched, I mean, there's many of them because it's, it's an ongoing series and um, it, is, it is fronted by a, I think he was the first black, <laughs> the first black tenured economics professor at Harvard. And he was something like three years old. I mean, he was extraordinarily young. Um, and he now teaches at, uh, I think, Brown. Could be wrong about that, but I think. And he's an older guy. He's my age now. He a three-year-old tenured Harvard professor anymore. And he, his name is Glenn Lowry. And I, you know, I didn't know much about him, but I looked him up and I looked up some of what he's written. And after, and I watched the thing and he's no liberal. I'll tell you that. Um, I, he's, I would say moderate to leaning right. And he is this brilliant, articulate, contrarian black American. And he was talking in the hour I watched with another brilliant black intellectual whose work I, I have uh, read, uh, not a lot of, but uh, quite a bit, and that is the linguist John McWhorter. And I forget where he teaches, maybe Columbia or I don't know where. And to listen to these two uh, was really interesting. And this is a bit old because it was right after uh, uh, Floyd's death. And so there was not, they were talking about it, but there was not a lot of still information uh, known. Um, and, and so some of the things that were said, uh, you know, are like a little dated now and don't necessarily hold up, but others do. And here I, I'm bringing it up because I, who have trouble sitting still and listening to other people talk, isn't that interesting, uh, for a long time, didn't move. I just watched. It was over an hour. Because it was something I hadn't had the pleasure of listening to in so long, which is two brilliant, knowledgeable, 
people talking about current events and humans and our proclivities and our absurdities and talking about them in a way that is considered politically incorrect, which is to say we don't hear it. And a number of things that Lowry said, I thought, oh, come on. I mean, oh, come on, you're going to. But then, and McWhorter would sort of like, Neh. they were disagreeing with each other on occasion, agreeing with each other on occasion, as was I, agreeing and disagreeing. And I'm realized, do you know what we have lost? That we are almost not allowed anymore <laughs> to talk freely. And it's out of fear. Out of fear. You'll be labeled a racist. You'll be labeled, uh, you know, a right winger. You'll be labeled a liberal. You'll be labeled, okay? Someone's going to stick a label on you, which they do. And what we've lost is the ability for each one of us to individually, using our own knowledge and life experience, come to our own conclusions and be able to freely express them to another who will then freely express their opinions and that you can do that and not come to blows because there is such a rigidity now. I was talking yesterday about David Axelrod talking about how, you know, uh, things go from that seems like a really good idea. And then it gets it, it becomes dogma. It becomes something that is not to be questioned. And as soon as we become a people that are not allowed to express dissent or question, then we're not free. You think we're free? And I have often said, I just become enraged when anybody, and as I said, coming from the right or from the left, tries to tell me what I can say, what I must believe, what is the only correct view. And to watch these two talk about race in America, um, as black men, was mind-blowing because you don't hear this conversation. 
Oh, and I can hear some would say, oh, yeah, you could hear it. Fox News would let you hear it. No, they're not. That's not what, see, that's not it. There's this immediate thing that if you're not saying and agreeing with whatever the, whoever these people are who decide what's kosher and what isn't, what's presentable and what isn't, what's allowable and what isn't. And one of the things they talked about was something certainly we've talked about, how media now and our culture, we don't necessarily traffic in truth. We don't, right or left. We traffic in narratives. And when things don't fit the narratives we are trafficking in, they're not talked about. Or they're somehow crammed uncomfortably in to our narratives. And I think it was Lowry who says, and the truth doesn't matter when it comes to these. The truth can't exist in these narratives. And you know why? And this is me talking. Because these narratives become mythologies. And mythologies become simplistic. And this stuff that we're talking about is not simple. It's complex. It's so complex. And when anyone, me, and God knows I've done it, arrives at a certainty about something, it would be best to always hold out the possibility that I'm wrong. But we don't do that anymore. We only look and listen to things that reinforce the narrative that we have thrown our lot in with. And what these two, I think, are really bothered by as black Americans is that race, their blackness, has become in many ways, the only, <laughs> the only determinant, it seems, no matter what the story, what the issue, black. So that anything that happens to you if you're black is a result of racism. And we tend to, you know, that, and they both laughed at that. Of course it's not true. But this is how sloppy we've all gotten so that the narratives fit the reality that we see. And they were decrying, and McWhorter said the next book he wants to write is about anti-racism as a dogma, as a religion. And I would look forward to that. I wish we had the courage 
to speak our own truths, our own minds. And I, I don't know. I don't know. One of the incendiary things that Lowry said, and you'd be hard pressed. Oh, 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 oh. okay. It's okay, but hey, it's okay. Uh, hey, hey, yeah, I know. Okay, okay, sorry, guys. Um, I'm sorry. So, one of the incendiary things that was said, and then I'll leave you with this, Glenn Lowry said, was that black people in our cities and in our poorer neighborhoods need the police. They need the police more than a lot of folks do because their neighborhoods are also where the highest crime is occurring. Now, think about that, because I think that, yeah, he's probably on pretty solid ground there. They certainly need somebody to intervene, because as he pointed out, it's black-on-black crime in those neighborhoods. It's black people victimizing other black People. This is the kind of thing, and I mentioned that Salah Udin said this um, in a piece he wrote talking about how maybe a black mayor, Ed Ganey, could bring this up. And why should this be such a you-cannot-say-it thing? That the police... Now, again, listen. I just saying, guys, we're we're not the better for what has happened uh, to our ability to um, our inability to talk to each other and to listen and to admit the possibility that parts of the stories. We tell ourselves and the the structures and narratives we use to attempt to make sense of the chaos of our world might not be right, right? It's a very uncomfortable way to live without certainty. And I think human history shows us that most humans are incapable of it. And it's why human history is such a god-awful, bloody mess. Nice talking to you. I wish you all the best. And I'll be back tomorrow. Bye-bye. Lynn Cullen Live. Monday through Thursday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. and archived at pghcitypaper.com. 
The opinions expressed on Lynn Cullen Live are those of the host and do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of Pittsburgh City Paper or its advertisers.